Hey there, welcome to another episode of Converge Takeout. I just want to share something about myself here as we start, and that is, I hate getting lost. Man, I hate riding with people, and oh, I, I know where I'm going, and oh, I've been there once before, and then we can't find where we're going. Well, I, I think this is it. Well, I, I, I'm pretty sure this is the way. Drives me nuts. Why do I hate getting lost? Because really, ultimately, I hate being late. So, now you know something about me. So when the app Waze came out, man, I fell in love. I, I was like, this would get me from point A to point B. It'll let me know exactly when I can get there, what time I gotta leave, and that was great, so that I can always be right on time. So I started using Waze. I actually like it a little bit over some of the other navigation apps out there. Um, mostly because I like doing the, seeing the little guys drive around, the little other cars, who else is using it, all that silly stuff, right? So I like using Waze. But what's really interesting, you may not know, is that I use Waze to get to home. I use it to get to Bradshaw from the Converge Center. I use it to get to the Converge Center. I use it to go everywhere. And this is why. Because um, it's not like I, I'm going to get lost. It's not like I don't know where those places are, right? I know where those are. But I, I use it for a different reason. So I grew up and lived half my adult life in the Portland, Oregon area. And the terrain there dictates that there's kind of really only one way to get anywhere. When I would go to my parents' house, it was, you know, going up and over Lake Road, go Oakfield Road, turn down, you know, um, whatever, you know, the street they're on, or if I needed to get to work, it was always, I had to go McLaughlin Boulevard, go over the Ross Island Bridge, just kind of, the, it was hills, and you have to go around hills, over hills, not the same, when I moved to Sacramento, so not the same here, right? When I moved to Sacramento, everything's just one big grid. It, it's like, it's, I can go a thousand ways and still kind of get there. Until I learned that's not necessarily true. Because of construction, because of traffic, school traffic in the morning, stuff like that. I, uh, you could go one way and get stuck, and it would take you 20 minutes more, or, or trains, right? Trains are the worst. 20 minutes more one way than it would another way. So I started using Waze just so that I could see, well, which is the best way to go, right? I'll bet you that a lot of you, you guys probably do the same thing, right? Because of those traffic issues. So let me, let me ask this question then. How, how does that relate to what we're talking about? Well, if there was a Waze app that guided you to Jesus, would it be more like Portland where there's kind of this just... There's just this one way that I can get to Jesus, or is it more like Sacramento, where there's a bunch of ways to get to Jesus? Now, before you think I'm off my rocker theologically, <laughs> let's, let's pray and then we'll explore what, what I really mean by this question. God, we just pray that you would open our hearts to knowing how you call us to yourself. Not the pathway that we, we work towards towards heaven, we know that the way is narrow, that not everybody gets there. But Jesus, per perhaps coming into relationship with you is as unique as the heartbeats and fingerprints of those listening to this video. So Jesus, we just pray that you would help us see you. Amen. So my question is, how do we get to Jesus? Well, uh, let's start in the book of James. I think he kind of gives us a, 
a, a really interesting way of beginning to look at this idea. And uh, in James chapter 2, James is really concerned that for people who, uh, just as a preface here, uh, say, well, it's just about what I believe. As long as I believe in Jesus, that's all that matters. And James is like, um, let's talk about what that means, right? He's not saying that belief isn't the deal, but he's trying to say, but, but what do you mean when you say believe? What, what does that look like? And so um, he writes in, in James chapter 2, starting in verse 14, he writes these words. He says, dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this, in, in your faith, in your belief, if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has faith? For instance, if you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved and say, Oh, good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you'll walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God, that this God talk that you have without the God acts is righteous nonsense? I um, want to just pause here. Um, last week, or just a couple of days ago, we found found out that somebody that's related in, in the Converge family um, to our church, uh, part of us, uh, was without a house, without, without a place to stay. And that didn't set right. Didn't set right with Dustin, doesn't set right with us. And so he put out a text to the men in the church and he said, guys, we need so much money to get a person into housing and then we need uh, anything that comes in beyond that um, we'll just give so that they can, they can have a housewarming, right? Buy things they need. And within two hours, we had more than one and a half times our goal. I was so proud of our men. We weren't just like saying, oh, we believe. We were like doing something about it. That's what James is talking about. But now James is going to go on. I'm going to continue reading here from chapter 2 in James because there are people who say, well, let's have a division of labor with this issue. So... He says this about that idea of like, well, I, I, I'll have the faith and you do the stuff, right? I'll, I'll teach the lessons and, and you do the work. And James is like, no, no, no. In fact, he says these words. I can already hear one of you agreeing, but, but saying, sounds good. You know, I'll take care of the faith department. I'll handle the works. And another, I'll handle the works department. And he's like, not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith and I can show you my faith apart from my works. And he sums it up with this, faith and works, works and faith fit together hand in glove. So let me ask you this question, which comes first? Faith or works? Because he says it two different ways. Faith and works, works and faith, they fit together. Is there an order? Can, can they co-equally exist. So it brings up this question, so how do we really come to know Jesus then, really? I mean, is there just only, well, it has to be faith, then works. Is that the only way that goes? Is there only one path? Like, like for example, the, the typical modern Christian for like me growing up, this was the deal. Someone invites us to church, there's an altar call. They fill out a card at the altar call. They start attending church. They begin to get involved. Then they begin to feel, you know, figure out if they do, what they do. 
But can the love of Jesus be experienced in only that way? Can we come to Jesus through the works into faith? Does it have to, can it be that way? Does it, can we not do that? Can we not come to Jesus by following through with serving and then growing and believing? And to be honest with you, like when I think of my own story, I don't even know when I started believing in Jesus. I mean, I grew up in the church. I was crawling under pews as a baby. My parents, grandparents helped build the church that we started attending until I went to college. I don't remember a day. If you would ask me, well, when did you give your heart to Christ? I'd be like, I don't, I don't know. I just, it's just kind of always been a part of me. And sometimes that's just the deal. But I do know that everything that I did within the church to serve moved me forward in my belief. That's my story. Um, but let's look at the Bible. Let's see what the Bible has to say. Let's not just use me as an example. Let's see what, what Scripture has to say about this whole question of, of becoming close to Jesus, even believing in Jesus. Um, what's the order of things? So we're going to look at the Gospel of Mark. Um, one of the things I love about the Gospel of Mark, in fact, I'm actually working through the Gospel of Mark with a couple of guys, and uh, the Gospel of Mark asks this big question for the first half, who is this man? The first eight chapters are, are leading us up there. We're, we continually like are scratching our heads and going, who is this guy? Who? And, and Mark takes us through over and over and over again different people's perspectives about who this guy is. And I want to go through a couple of those and, and kind of un use the first part of the book of Mark to unpack this question of how do we actually even come to Jesus? And what are the ways that people come to engage with Jesus? To figure out this question, who, who is Jesus? Who is he? Who is he to me? Who is he in the world? So let's, let's do that. One um, of the first groups, so we're going to look at four different groups here um, as we kind of figure out how this, how this works. And, and I'll just tell you right up front, Three of these groups, um, Mark shows us, are engaged with Jesus, but they don't get it. Okay, so, so and then the fourth one does. So, so let, let's just dive into it here and let me show you. So group number one, the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the come and gripe group. <laughs> the come and gripe ones. The, now the Pharisees are the religious leaders of the time. These are the, the, the people who um, purport to follow God the best, the most, follow the law, the closest, the ones that, that wear the special robes that say, I've done all the extra studies and do all the extra rituals. I, I'm a pretty holy person. And you would think that these guys, if you're really thinking about it, you would, you would wonder, what, shouldn't these guys support Jesus the most? But it actually doesn't work that way. They actually, when they come to Jesus, they come and gripe. Let's check it out in Mark chapter 3. In fact, most of it is in Mark chapter 3 today. But let's look at that. In Mark chapter 3, he pens these words starting in verse 1. He says, Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. He had, he had a defect, right? And so since it was the Sabbath, ah, it was the Sabbath, so he can't work on the Sabbath, right? Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, that would be work. And they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics, the Pharisees, and he asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? 
as if I don't heal this man, I've done evil. Is it a day to save a life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. And of course they wouldn't, right? Jesus has just, just set it up to where they, they, if they give the, any answer, they're going to look like fools. Verse 5 says, Jesus looked around at them angrily because they had come to gripe. They had come to accuse. And he was deeply saddened by their hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. And at once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of King Herod on how to plot to kill Jesus. In a come and judge approach to Jesus, when that's, that's how we come to him, that's our experience. Nothing is better than what I know. I know it all. I've studied it all. I've read it all. I know it all. There's nothing more to learn. And, and, and that's probably not going to get me to Jesus very well. In a come and, approach, come and judge approach to Jesus, we say, well, that's not the way it's done. We've never done it this way before. We, we can't. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Are we going to do good or are we, are we not going to do good? <laughs> in, a, in a come and judge approach to Jesus, I'm afraid to lose my influence and power rather than die to self and, and pick up my cross. Um, Mark shows us that people are trying to come to Jesus, but when the come and judge approach is used, we don't get very far. So, so that, that may not work. So, so let's, let's look at another example. Mark shows another group. He shows the group that we'll call the crowd. It's basically the masses, pretty much m most people. And the crowd group is a come and go approach. These are people who are really appear to be interested in Jesus. He, he seems very attractive. The things he do, does is, is very cool looking. And that's a very legitimate way to come to Jesus. Something draws us in. Something is very attractive there. Uh, this, I think this approach has real promise. So let's take a look at what Mark says in Mark 3, starting verse 7, has to say about the crowd. He says, Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples, and a large crowd followed him. They came from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Edumea, and the east of the Jordan River, even as far north as Tyre and Sidon. I mean, they came from nearby states, right? Not, not just the nearby cities. This was huge. They came, there was throngs of people. Why? Because it says then the news about his miracles had spread far and wide and vast numbers of people then came to see him. They were there because they were really interested in his miracles. And they wanted to watch it. And they wanted to see, I mean, even for some of them, the spectacle. And I think maybe others were really involved and wanted to see. And they, but you could see them asking themselves, who is this guy that could do these miracles? Who is this guy that draws the throngs and the crowds together? I mean, he was a phenomenon. There were so many people in the crowds there that in verse 9, Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd could not crush him, right? So he could get in the boat and get offshore just a little bit and then teach so that he could, he could get some space between him and the crowd so he could project. And in verse 10, it says he had healed many people that day. So all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him because they wanted healed. Now, I, I love that approach, but it can't be all there is. 
That's why I call it the come and go approach. You see, once I get healed, what do I do? Most of them just go home. Most of them, like, okay, great. And they may never see Jesus again. Not everybody, but most, I think. You see, if we're in a come and go approach to Jesus, Jesus is the teacher and the do-gooder, but kind of nothing more. He doesn't become more to them, a way of life, a way of following. In a come and go approach to Jesus, I use him as a way to get what I want or what I need, but I engage with him only on my own terms and not on his. Hmm. Well, that one held promise, but, but let's go to another group. There's another group of people that I want to just bring up here, and that is the family group. Now, it's a very small group, right? He's got a dad and a mom and some younger siblings. And this, this approach I'm calling the come and get approach. The family is the come and get approach. Now, the family should be those who know him best. Man, they, they should have known from his upbringing. Even the one little story we have is from his childhood where it said Jesus was, was um, he didn't get, with his mom and dad and leave Jerusalem when he should have and they came back and, and they scolded him like what are you doing you're not with us you should be with us we're leaving and he said but I got to be about my father's business because he was there talking to the rabbis in the in the temple in the synagogue and uh, you know at, at some point he kind of knew he started to really know his mission his purpose and so you would think that they grew up with that that, that Joseph and Mary had been told, you know, this is my son, name him Jesus. He's going to save the world from their sins. He's going to rescue everyone. You would think they would know him best. But Mark shows us otherwise in this come and get approach. In Mark 3, now we're going to go to verse 20. It says, one time Jesus entered a house and the crowds then began to gather. Like they just began to pack the place. And soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard that what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. Let's jump to some more detail here a few verses later. In verse 31, it says, Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out to talk with them. It's like, we, we got we to take him home. You know, he's not in his right mind. Um, he's mentally imbalanced. There was a crowd around Jesus, right? They're sitting around Jesus and someone says, your mother and your brother and your sisters are outside asking for you. And Jesus took the time. He's not dismissing them as family. But he took the time to enlarge the idea of family. And he says, who, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And then he looked at those around him and said, look, I'm, I'm, the kingdom of God is also a family. And these are also my mothers and my brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. In a come and get approach to Jesus, if that's the approach I'm going to take, Jesus is so out of touch, I just dismiss him. I, I, I feel like he, he doesn't have anything relevant to offer. In fact, Jesus creates social disturbances that need to be dealt with, stamped out. Or maybe I feel like Jesus is just too embarrassing. I can't pray in public. I can't talk about Jesus to others. I'd rather not have him be a public part of my life. And, it, and well, I, I love the idea, and it's an important part of coming to Jesus, that we find a new family. I have to make that family a part of my public life. That is a way to Jesus.
And in fact, that leads us to our next group. The one that I really want to focus on, the one that we, we really want to see, how does this work? And that's the group of the disciples, or what I'm going to call the come and grow group. These are those people who figure Jesus out in their journey with him. Let's see how this works. Let's mark, and we're going to back up to chapter 1, verse 16 to 20. It says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, or Peter, and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, come and follow me, and I'm going to show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Verse 19, a little further up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. And he called them at once, for they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in a boat with the hired men. Now these men knew fishing. That was their livelihood. That was how they put food on the table. But, but, and, and none of their um, knowledge, though, put food on the table. They knew that what they knew about fishing wouldn't translate to living until they went out and fished. They had to fish. They had to have actions. They had to have works, not just knowledge or belief that fishing was a form of livelihood, but do the fishing also, right? Belief and works. And Jesus called them. What did he call them to do? I'm going to teach you to fish for people. And that means you're not only going to know how to do it, but you're going to have to do it. Basically, Jesus said, look, I know you probably don't know much about me, just enough for you to say yes to following me. But you're going to start without a lot of knowledge, maybe even not even believing fully in me, but only having that, that crowd interest, that, that familial want, want to be a part of something bigger. And so you begin to act. Your works begin to be following and fishing. And this is what I'm calling that come and follow approach. And in this, now get it, we get to know Jesus by being around him and around others who are traveling with him. No matter how many years I have been serving Jesus, I have been traveling with Jesus and his people, and I have grown all because of who Jesus is in us as a community. And it's not just his teaching, but his doing, right? He would send his disciples out two by two. He would tell his disciples when they wanted to send the crowd away, you know, don't send them away to find their own food and fend for themselves. You feed them. You do the works with your faith. But then they say, okay, we'll do the works, but they come back, there ain't no food. And Jesus is like, you're doing the work but you don't get the faith yet. See, they needed to spend more time with Jesus to grow their faith, even though they were doing the works. Faith and works, works and faith. And so we do them together. It's like two oxes pulling a cart, faith and works. And we go together with those two, pulling the cart of my life on my journey. Eventually, they get to know who Jesus is. As they follow him more, as they spend more time with those other people who are following him, their faith grows. Their belief grows. And we see that in Mark chapter 8, where we finally get to this place in this, this gospel 
that answers the question, who is this guy? We see half of the book, Mark only has 16 chapters, half of the book is everybody just trying to figure him out. And finally, after all the works and all the following, the disciples start to figure it out. We see in Mark 8, verses 27 to 29, we see this in verse 27. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea, Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Who am I? And here it is. The author's like, here's the crux of it. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, like reincarnated, or Elijah, reincarnated. Others say you're one of the other prophets, reincarnated. And he asked them, but, but guys, you've been traveling with me and doing things with me for three years. Now, after all this time, who do you say I am? And Peter replies, you're the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the promised one. Today's video is about somebody who's taken that path, <laughs> that come and follow path with Jesus. And he's my buddy Jason, Jason Wagner. And I want you to hear his story. As he says, it's not just about me coming to belief and then figuring out how to do things later, but getting engaged with my belief and getting to know Jesus more and more and more so that I have a strong belief because it's faith and works, works and faith. Check it out. Here's Jason's video. Jason Wagner, Converge Interview. My name is Jason Wagner and this is my story. My life with Jesus started when I was young. Uh, really young, I was actually baptized as a Lutheran with the family. We never really attended church much. Uh, as a teenager, I went seeking something that was missing in my life and I used to study with, say, the Jehovah's or the Mormons when they stopped by. And at one point in time, uh, I would have weekly study sessions with the Jehovah's and they tried to get me to come over and convert to the church but I didn't see a fit for me there and I kept searching and studied with the Mormons because they invited me because they knew I was studying. At, at that point in time I veered uh, more away from Jesus but before that I was involved with the youth group in the local churches in the Elk Grove area. I used to go uh, hang out, do the help with the events you know, as much as I could, and but then I started working and started living life as just any adult would and straight away for a while. And then I, grew, you know, started growing up, making money, paying rent, paying the bills, and, you know, just having fun as a 20-something-year-old. <laughs> I really didn't think about Jesus that often. I was just busy, friends, life, work, and just, just focusing on just that kind of stuff every day. I wasn't focusing on my inner self and finding that that heart to heart with Jesus. I really wasn't. And after my folks got married, Melissa and Jonathan got married is when I started getting more interested again. And Jonathan and Melissa found a home in Impact for a long time, for over a decade. And I would join them, you know, on occasion, try to help out where I could and volunteered here and there but I never had weekends off working retail and that kind of stuff in sales. It sort of uh, pulled me away from having that time to, you know, help where I wanted to. Two years ago, I was like, hey man, sorry I don't see you more, but once I get Sundays off, I'm gonna be there. And then 
about a year ago is when I started showing up just a, just a little over a year ago and actually started learning the ropes and uh, just showing up and saying, hey, what can I help with? I, I always wanted to learn engineering more. At one point in time, I was even looking into doing auto engineering for school, but it was so expensive. It was just unattainable for me at the time. And this itself was a huge opportunity for me to always do something that I wanted. And I just, I just dove in. Typical Sunday for me is definitely uh, waking up early, getting out of the house, showing up to the theater by 7 to 7.05, pushing a trailer loaded with over 10,000 pounds of equipment out and down into the theater, loading up, setting up. My specific duties is uh, mainly video, and so I'm the projector the, and the lights and running cables. So we set it up and usually uh, by a little after eight o'clock, we're making sound, the stage is up, the band's ready, and they run through a rehearsal, rehearsal and make sure the songs are nice and tight and make arrangements where they need to. And after that, rehearsal is done. By that time, I have the lights dialed in, the projectors on and lined up, and we got the video ready to rock and roll with the cameras. And from there, we sit down and have a little run through and a little prayer before we start service. And then everybody starts rolling in. Everybody gets greeted, seated. Everybody gets to see each other again together as a big happy family every week and you know then the service goes and then we had to pack it up and roll it all back up the ramp and into the trailer and by about noon uh, we get that finished and Dustin just asked me why in the world I do this every week all that work it's just because I have a love and dedication for Jesus and the people that are in that church they're my family now you know they I show up for them and they show up for me it's not even being inside the walls of the church that we do it for each other. You know, there's uh, plenty of opportunity outside the walls of church. You know, people help out each other, people doing things for each other. You know, we just had some great news today that was shared right through the app and so many people giving blessings, you know, today and prayers. And it's just, it's just a wonderful community to be with. Personal changes since I got plugged in has definitely been friends. It's, a huge one, the more more camaraderie with people, and then in the environment that I grew up in. I've known these people for years, but I definitely made more friends, new friends. And Chris Gibson has been huge, helping me and learning all this technology and actually being a good friend. You know, he's helped me out and helped me with things that I needed it. And you know, I always if he needs something, I'm always there to help him out now too. You know, he always knows he can call on me to get stuff done. Where I was a year ago to where I am now, I definitely have a deeper understanding of Jesus and my relationship with him and him with me. It's just, he's always there with me. And I never really understood that. I always lived by faith and salvation alone in my 20s and my early 30s, but that's just not enough. It's, you gotta have the community, you gotta have the friends. And that's what Converge brought to the table for me, and I love it. To that person that's not plugged in, I just have to say that Jesus loves you and accepts you as you are. You know, He will accept you when you come in those doors. He'll accept you if you don't come in those doors. Yeah, regardless of where your expertise is, what you do and do not know how to do, there's always something for you to help out with. Or you can just show up and enjoy communing with God on your own. 
in your own time. If people there to pray for you if you need it, and there's always a place for you to come. What I learned in my story so far is showing up and does a lot to help the people around you without even you realizing it. You know, just showing up and helping out is a huge step to where when I stepped into it and learned all these new things that I didn't know how much I was actually helping. And then that one day when Dustin came to me and said, hey, dude, we can't do this without you, I was genuinely shocked and surprised and at the same time, like super happy. It's just because I had progressed so far with my story from the beginning of when I started with Converge in just less than a year, you know, and that made myself indispensable. And I wasn't trying to be an indispensable person. I just, I was just always hungry to learn something new. And doing it with Jesus just made it a huge benefit. <laughs> my name is Jason Wagner, and I'm the hardest working man at Converge. <laughs> and this is my story. So cool. Jason's story is great, isn't it? What do you think Jason's love language is? If you know what that is. <laughs> I think it's acts of service, right? I've seen Jason love me in very particular ways. I moved recently. Guess who stepped up to help me with the heavy stuff, man? He was, he was like my hero for the day. My, he helped me with my move. He helps with converge needs. He was a part of giving to others needs. I have personally watched him engage with the work side and now I get to watch him engage with the faith side both. It's so beautiful. And see how Jesus used his love language of acts of service to draw him in? Now, for somebody else, it may be giving. For somebody else, it, it, it may be um, words of affirmation. Whatever it is, Jesus will draw us to him. And then begin, begins the discipling. Jesus gets us through many ways, not just one. Now, what you don't know about Jason's story is that he is now also has been attending small groups and has just started one-on-one -on -one discipling. He is, man, I'm so proud of him, I'm so proud of him. He is starting to grow. Now, as we kind of just wrap our time up together, did you see in, uh, and hear Jason say, you gotta show up and you gotta plug in. And I wanna show you how to plug in what that really means as I hear it with the Converge vision. You gotta show up and you gotta plug in to growth through discipling knowing Christ. You got to show up and plug in to grow through serving, engaging culture. And you got to show up and plug into family through relationships, building relationships. I got to tell you, converges about all three. That's why all three are our vision, not just one. There's no division of labor where you say, well, you do the, the knowing Christ and you do the engaging community and you do the building relationships. No, we do it all. Works and faith, faith and works. It goes together hand in glove. We get the joy of helping people come into a relationship with Jesus and deepen their relationship with Jesus and live for Jesus and help others start that cycle again. And we get to invite people to do it with us. Isn't that great? I want to pray for you because perhaps you've listened to this in Jason's story and this teaching out of Mark and, and you know it's hard to do all three sometimes. You know, like Jason in his 20s and 30s, we get distracted. But I want to pray for you that if you're not plugged in, you plug in and that you draw close. 
can just show up and take a stand. Not at a distance, but together. Let's do that. God, we just, we want to know your son. Jesus, we want to know you. And so we, I pray that everybody right now watching this is able to just pray a little personal prayer right of their own heart to, to want to engage with you or and engage with your church. If they're not attending, find a place like Converge where they can begin to experience you, Jesus, in the love of people who love you and get to know you really well in that way. God, however you pull them to you, you do that work. In your precious name we pray, amen. God bless you, and thanks for being with us in this Converge Takeout.